Welcome to the PeopleSoft Chat Podcast. Our guest this episode is Graham Smith of Cedar Version 1 Consulting. Graham is a PeopleSoft champion and helps customers around the world adopt sensible strategies for staying current, making customizations, and deploying Fluid. And now, here's your podcast host, Senior Director of Product Strategy at Oracle, Robin Valitem. Welcome, everybody, to the PeopleSoft Chat Podcast. We have a very special guest with us today, Graham Smith from Version 1. Graham, welcome to the PeopleSoft Chat Podcast. Thank you, Robin, and it's uh, my great pleasure to be with you today. Thank you for joining. You know, we've been trying to make this happen uh, for quite some time now. When we started this podcast, you were one of the first people that I thought about as being a guest um, because I know that you have been involved with the PeopleSoft community for quite some time. Maybe you can share with those listening your experience um, with PeopleSoft and what your role is right now with version one. Yeah, sure. I work for version one. I'm head of the PeopleSoft technology uh, group within version one. So I look after all the developers, the architects, the, the cloud infrastructure specialists, and and set strategy for uh, for our own organization and for, for our customers as well. Um, been working with version one now for around two years, uh, but many of our listeners will know me from working with Cedar Consulting. Well, Cedar Consulting is now part of version one, and we were acquired by uh, the version one group about two years ago, and all the same people who were part of Cedar, now part of version one. We have a really strong, thriving PeopleSoft practice within version one. Version one is a European IT services company, based out of of Dublin in Ireland, actually, and um, with offices in Northern Ireland and uh, on mainland UK in in, in London and in other cities. Within version one's group, there's this PeopleSoft practice that I'm part of, but we also have a JD Edwards, it's really strong JD Edwards practice and an eBusiness suite practice, HCM and ERP, Oracle Cloud uh, practice. Uh, and other digital services and cloud infrastructure services are a huge organization um, compared to what Cedar Consulting used to be. And we now have on tap some really, really uh, strong cloud infrastructure specialists within the version one group, uh, one of the leading cloud infrastructure specialists in, in Europe. Yeah, that's uh, th- that's quite a lot. You know, I think um, in the U.S., most customers probably know uh, the Cedar name, the Cedar Consulting name, and it's uh, it's now that you use version one. I think sometimes you even kind of introduce yourself, right, as Z- Cedar one, Cedar and version one, just to help with the transition. Um, but I think in the states, you're more known for Cedar. Yes, well, C- Cedar Consulting have been uh, providing PeopleSoft services for over 25 years now, and the, the name um, means something to our customers. I mean. It's a name of quality and good relationships and, and professionalism. And uh, we, we, we still have that. Of course, all the same people are still there. Very, very low attrition rate within our organization. And um, we have a very, very thriving community of PeopleSoft customers here in UK and Europe that, that we enjoy serving. Yeah. And I know that firsthand. You know, uh, what's interesting is the last time I stepped foot on a plane <laughs> was uh, going to London uh, when I got a chance to meet you, right, we went to the Open World London event together and we co-presented together. That happened to be the last time I stepped on a plane. And it seems like forever, but it also seems like yesterday. I don't, it's kind of strange. Uh, but I got a chance to go to the London office and visit uh, the version one office there and meet some of those folks that you're talking about. I could tell you, I was so impressed with two things uh, that I found in common with almost everybody I met there. 
Number one was that they were super inquisitive. I mean, they were asking me all sorts of questions about the new things that we've been working on, whether they're configuration frameworks or whether they're new features and functions um, in the application or in tools, uh, which, which is great because not only do they already know PeopleSoft very well, but they're also willing to learn the new stuff to help customers. So I, I really was appreciative of that. And the second thing was how in tuned they were with your customers' requirements. Um, it, they weren't just doing a certain piece of development of work, uh, or maybe they were, but overall they, they knew exactly what the customer wanted to do. They knew the business requirements. And that was everyone that I talked to down the line. I met pretty much everybody in the office. I was there like half a day. And I was very impressed with that because uh, you don't always find that uh, with consultants, right? Sometimes you just have pieces that you do and you some people kind of lose track of the vision overall the requirements. I was really impressed by that. I just want to let you know. That's oh, great to hear. And, um, and we love to talk about PeopleSoft. We love to use PeopleSoft to help solve our customers' problems. And um, I think what you witnessed there when you met us in our London office was enthusiasm for PeopleSoft and for building strong relationships with our clients, understanding what they need and how PeopleSoft can uh, or, or can't in some cases uh, meet those requirements. We have about 50 of our PeopleSoft consultants around the world. Um, we have uh, 50 of us, functional, technical, architects, uh, system specialists, all with a PeopleSoft focus. Some of them are based in India, in uh, Pune, where we have our managed services group. And um, and the rest are dotted around the UK at the moment, working from home. Like everybody else, right? Um, but uh, it seems like uh, what I've noticed, uh, even during this uh, pandemic, all of our customers and partners have been able to pivot and you know work remotely, collaborate remotely, and still keep busy and still finish projects at, on time. I've been um, really impressed with how our customers have been able to adapt. Even the ones, you know, look, as consultants, we, we, we are used to, you know, remote working. We, we do that a lot. Uh, it's the, we have some customers that aren't, right? They're used to coming into the office, particularly some of our, our public sector customers and, They've had to they've had to adapt too, and it's been amazing to see how people have been able to stay on track uh, by pivoting. Because that's not an easy thing to do. If you're not used to working remotely, it is not easy to do. Would you agree? Yes, definitely. And um, you know, we as consultants, we're used we're used to working wherever we're put, whether that be at home on a train in in a coffee shop or in a client site. But you're right. I, some of our clients, you know, when when their office is closed in March they left with their computers under their arms, got home and realized they hadn't even got, you know, a, a microphone or a headset that they could plug in. And so they couldn't participate in Teams calls. <laughs> but It's kind of hard to do your work that way. <laughs> yes, but, you know, that was the reality of suddenly having to leave the office and, and head home to, to work remotely. In, in the last few months when we've been locked down in the UK, all of our consultants have been working from home. None of them have been on site in customer locations and those customers themselves have been working at home. Is we've done a we've done a nine two upgrade. We've gone from we've taken one customer from campus nine one to, to nine two, completed that, brought it live. We've done a, a number of eight five eight tools upgrades in that period, all remotely. And 
Now for us as consultants doing remote work, that's not unusual, but to do it in partnership with our clients who are also remote working, well, that's a triumph of success. Absolutely. And, and I, I've heard a ton of those uh, examples of, of customers just, I think it's, it's just being able to adapt and just being persistent. You know, these projects that you're working on, you know, they've been funded, they've been approved, um, but the longer you delay for the unknown, right? We just don't know when we would be able to go back uh, and, and work uh, our normal ways. Uh, you know, you, you have two choices. You either put it off until you can, or you adapt and you persist. And I've just been so amazed, um, particularly with our partners and our customers and how they've been able to do that. We, we've been at Oracle, we, we typically work uh, remotely. We do have many offices, right? But um, I think the most, the majority of our team um, works remotely. And so we've, we've had some experience, but it's still a challenge. Uh, and then you throw on top of that, everybody having to be remote. Um, it's, it's, it's really a challenge, but it's, it's been impressive to see how people have, have adapted. I'm, I'm very proud of our community being able to do that. You mentioned India, you know, under normal, normal circumstances, around this time is when we'd be planning our trip to India for the PeopleSoft SIG, right, in Bangalore. Um, I know that you're a big proponent of that. That's an event where we invite a number of uh, PeopleSoft customers and partners in that region to attend. And uh, we're there for probably a day and a half, two days with them. Can you talk a little bit about what your experience has been like there and, and why do you enjoy that event so much? I, I absolutely love India. I got the chance to go out there a couple of years ago for, uh, I got invited to speak at the um, All India Oracle User Group event, Sangam. And, and I combined that visit with a visit to our own office in Pune, and that was my very first exposure to India and just everything about it, the food, the people, the, the, the tra travel and trans the chaotic transport um, was just so different to what I was used to. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And then Shrilakshmi from the Bangalore Oracle office invited me over to speak at the SIG and we went, ran a couple of sessions there. And I, I just, I so, I so enjoyed them because I think everyone who was there participating in the special interest group, hungry for knowledge, you know, really enthusiastic to learn, to kind of soak up the new features, things that we were teaching, talking about. That's, uh, that's, that's a great environment to be in when you're presenting, to have your audience hungry for knowledge. Yeah, they were, I remember my first presentation, I, I, I saw one table of consultants I think almost typing everything that I was saying verbatim. <laughs> they were so they were so um, like you said. There was that thirst to learn, and that's great because for us, we always well we always think well are we, how many people are we going to get for this event if we put it on, and who's going to end up uh, showing up? But uh, we don't have that problem with with that particular event because we know we're going to have a full house and everybody's interested in in what we're doing. And I second what you say about India. Um, you know that was. Two years ago, when I was at the the People Saw Sig, that was my first visit um, to India, and it was it was amazing. Like you said, uh, all the reasons you said. Um, I would also add to it the colors uh, and the food. And I went there during um, Diwali, so it was um, even more hectic, I think, than if it could possibly be. Uh, and uh, I just truly in, in, enjoyed the experience. And I think. If anybody gets a chance to go, you should you, you should go. It's, it's just an amazing place. 
it's a, it's a great event. It's a two-day special interest group run by the Oracle PeopleSoft team in Bangalore. Shrilakshmi and her team do a fabulous job at that event. And I've never been at a any kind of conference where the product development lead for chatbots in PeopleSoft stands up and gives a presentation on chatbots and then breaks the whole group up into small tables of you know half a dozen people and gives each table a, a, a tablet and says, there you go, try it out. You know, it's not just PowerPoint anymore. There you are, hands on, you know, conf- and not just using the chatbot, but configuring it. It was it was great. I mean, they did, they did that a couple of times um, with, with these kind of live demos. It was it was, it was terrific. Yeah, and, and the amount of preparation that goes into doing that uh, is is um, through the roof because yes. <laughs> you know we have to get the hardware. We got to make sure that the that, that the application is running right on everybody's machines. We have to have people stationed there in case people run into issues so we can help them through. I mean, yeah, kudos to that team because when they brought up that idea internally, I I think we kind of paused for a second and said, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's a great idea, but execution is going to be difficult. Yeah. But, we, you know, we persisted and to hear feedback like that makes it all worth it, you know, because uh, I don't know if any other, um, I've never been a part of any other type of SIG or CAB meeting where you've had access to the code and be able to go in and do whatever you needed to do. Uh, it's truly unique. I think there are two things that can really engage an, an audience when you're talking about technicals uh, and you know application uh, stuff like this. But the first one is you've got to have great stories to tell. And the second one is do a live demo. You, you've got to do the live demo. It can't just be a, a PowerPoint. And, and I, love, um, I love Paco Obra ones. Uh, keynotes at uh, Oracle Open World every year. He always does live demos. You know, so, sometimes they don't quite go right, but that's all right. Every, everyone gets that. You know, he's demoing software that's not been released yet necessarily. Um, but credit to him, he does the live demo and that's engaging. You know, people want to see the software. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's only so far slides can take you. Uh, and being in the audience myself, you know, you know that slides can really bore you. Uh, people there want to see the demos. I mean, that's what that's what gets everybody excited. And I'm glad to hear you say that about Paco's sessions because he has to demo things that he doesn't have hands-on experience with all the time, right? So he'll demo something in HCM, he'll demo something in FSCM and in tools. So he's bouncing around different environments. Uh, we, we all sit there in the audience with our fingers crossed. We've done as much as we can to prepare and we just hope everything um, um, goes well, but it's, it's good to hear that you guys appreciate that. Um, I wanted to talk to you about uh, configuration versus customization, because that's a topic that you and I have talked about. We have, um, well, we've presented about, and I know you have some good, strong feelings on the value of being able to do customizations in PeopleSoft. Customization sometimes becomes a dirty word uh, because uh, customers uh, equate customizations with more work particularly those who have come in after the fact, right? Haven't been there throughout the time and they're looking at the system and wondering why we've, we've customized so much. Can you share some of your feelings around the benefits of being able to use PeopleSolve to customize uh, for the business? Yeah, sure. Um, it was probably over 30 years ago now, I was working for large not-for-profit organization in Canada, uh, World Vision. You may have heard of them, very big uh, global NGO. And the head of IT at the time instilled in me, Graham, whatever you do, 
it must make money, it must save money, and it must improve the quality of what we do somehow to our customers. And so you can have one of those, or we can have two of them, or even better have all three of them. So what's that got to do with customizations? Well, customizations, if it makes you money, if it saves you money, or it improves the quality of what you're doing somehow with your, your customers, why wouldn't you do it? So that's the bottom line with customizations. You're right, uh, Robin, it's not a, necessarily a, a, um, a bad thing to customize. And it sometimes has got a bit of a bad reputation because customizations have become unwieldy or, or costly to maintain, or they've become troublesome in some way. And, and, and certainly today, we've got so many more tools within PeopleSoft to help us do customizations safely, not necessarily to eliminate them, but do them in a way that has a lower cost of ownership and, and even greater value uh, in, in doing them. So that's the bottom line with customizations. Uh, I, would, I would never say to a client, just no, don't do it. I would say, well, look, if you can make money out of this or you can save some money or you can improve quality, great, let's look at doing it. Yeah, I think there, there's also a benefit to customers having the ability to make customizations as a strategic competitive situation, right? In their industry, or they feel like it gives them an advantage in some way to be able to have the system work a certain way. And uh, I think that's the true power with, with PeopleSoft and how it differentiates itself from some of the tools today, that you do have the platform, you do have the tool set, and you can uh, you know, do whatever you need to do to help your business have that advantage. And I think that that gets to the point, like you said, it has to make money, right? And uh, if you've got a strategic advantage over your competitors, then you're going to make money. And, um, and you can use PeopleSoft to do that. Well, if you're, a, give an example of this, if you're a, a law firm, then you start scouting for talent in maybe, maybe as young as high school. You know, you, you, you're inviting, you know, 16, 17, 18 year olds along to one of your law firm open days. And you're going to t tell them all about what it's like to be a lawyer or work in the legal sector. And you're starting there at that point in a young person's life to get them interested in law, but not just interested in any law. You're trying to get them interested in your law firm so that when this person goes off to university and graduates as one of the you know, top legal experts and qualifications that there is, who are they going to go to for a job? They're going to go to the one who's kind of looked after them and nurtured them and invited them along to, to, to days. How do you track all of that relationship you're having with those people? Is there a module within PeopleSoft that allows you to do that? No. So you might want to build one and have it fully integrated into your HR system so that it allows you to you know, track that journey and relationship. And then when you do hire them or you invite them for interview, it's seamlessly integrated with PeopleSoft. We've been working with, with one of our law firms a couple of years ago to build such a system and to help them implement it. Why? Because they want a competitive advantage. Yeah, that's a great example. And, and that's an example of a module that we in PeopleSoft development probably will not deliver right? Because we probably don't have enough uh, customers who would want or even do those types of things or have those types of practices. So that's a great example. If, if the customer can't change their software to meet their requirements in order to give them that competitive advantage, they're using the wrong software. Well said. 
Well, now, given your experience with 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 customers, have you seen any certain traps that maybe they fall into in doing customizations? Because it's a double-edged sword in my view. So you have the platform, you have the tool set, you have the, uh, the, the resources to go in and make those customizations. And the one you just mentioned as a project is a, is a very good one. But I've also seen because you have the access to the platform, sometimes customers will ignore what's in the, in the delivered product and then just as soon as the business gives them a requirement, they just go and build it. Um, so it's a little bit of a double-edged sword having the platform and having the ability to customize. What are some of the, the traps maybe you've seen where people have, have, have gone the wrong way with customizations? Yeah, so let's, let's just uh, clear up a terminology po- possible confusion here. When I say customization, what I mean is that I've modified something that the Oracle PeopleSoft team have given me, whether that's a page definition, a record definition, a piece of people code, an app engine, or even some configuration like a page composer definition or an AWE process definition. If I change that, I've customized it. If I go and create my own component and my own page and my own records, that's not customization. That's that's custom, if you like, or it's bolt-on. Uh, it's another phrase that gets used, but it's not a customization. So when you, when a customer takes a new perm image and, and updates uh, their system, it won't touch those custom objects that a customer has built themselves because they're, obviously they're not part of your change package that you're delivering. Right. So, so that that's what I mean by customization. What are some of the traps that a customer can can fall into? I, I think I would call out the whole issue of costing the maintenance of that going forward. If you're going to make a change to a delivered object, it's not just the cost of making the change and testing it, but it's the ongoing maintenance of it. You have to make sure that you budget for that. Don't just get the change done, move it into production and then forget about it. You know, that, that, would, that would be like um, up, up, upgrading the engine in your car, but, but never taking it in for a service after that. Which of course you need to to keep it to keep it moving. So as long as you've costed the maintenance of that and you accept the cost of that and it's part of the cost benefit analysis, uh, I think you're okay. But um, that's a trap that you can fall into. And another trap you can fall into is is not making the change in a way that makes it safe. Um, and I love drop zones. I love the concept of drop zones. We've advocated for some time, but if you're going to add fields onto a page, don't just add them directly onto the page, add them onto a sub page, which is yours, and then add that sub page onto a page. And that way, when you have to come and reapply your customization to that page, all you're doing is dropping the sub page in rather. And, and we saw that coming about with drop zones. That's exactly how you, you've implemented drop zones in people. So right. very, very powerful feature. Um, right. So if you, get, if you just go and add the fields onto the page and shuffle the fields around on the page to make, cosmetically make it work, that's a trap you can fall into because the most expensive object in PeopleSoft to maintain when you take maintenance is a page. Very expensive. So yeah. if you can compromise on how it looks maybe but still deliver the benefit, that's a good thing. Yeah, that's really the 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 uh, impetus behind the drop zone is that uh, you know you don't have exact uh, control over where you can put that field on the page, but if you're okay with it being either at the top or at the bottom or maybe somewhere in the middle, 
um, then you save yourself in the long term. Every single time you go to get current or you update that page from what was delivered from us, um, you don't have to worry about maintaining it as we call it a customization. And I think that's the, that's the, that's the true value of being able to do that. You're absolutely right about the maintenance. A lot of times people can go in and scope out how much time it takes to do a customization, but they don't scope out the added time it takes every time you get current. And, and when it hurts is when we, as a development team, make a change to that page. And that's when it doesn't work. It breaks for you, right? Unless you've maintained it properly. Yes. And I would add that testing is probably the biggest part of any software project. Um, how long does it take me to reapply one line of customized people code? Well, it might take me an hour to, to reapply that line of code and, and then save that project off and maybe migrate it into a test system. But then the testers have got to test. And it's testing, is, in our experience, is the biggest part of, 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 uh, of a change project. So if you're doing a you know, selective adoption, get current, or you're applying some maintenance from a PUM um, or a people tools upgrade, the testing effort is the bigger part you know, compared to reapplying your customizations. Yeah, that's, that's where more time has to be spent. Uh, so what do you see as the big challenge um, in terms of when we talk about testing? Is it because the, the human element of it, the people that you need to test the, the, the new update are the same people that are responsible for operations and they're trying to get their, their, their daily stuff. It's hard to get their time or is it the testing tool? What, what are you seeing as some of the challenges on the testing side? I, I think it's uh, people and resources and um, availability of those at the time that, that, that you need them for the, for the project. Uh, I, I think also as well, maybe this is some historical baggage from traditional software development methodologies, but we tend to want to test everything before it's released. Now, this might be heresy to some, but you know, if, if I go live on a project, but my self-service users can't edit their phone number in self-service app because there's a bug, is that the end of the world? Oh, okay, so it might be an inconvenience. It might be, you know, it might be unfortunate, but the whole business doesn't grind to a halt. But if I can't onboard a new staff member, that's fatal. You know, that, that could be really critical. So focusing where to test, I think we got to, we've got to relearn that, I think. Uh, you know, tra traditionally, we would have wanted to test everything before letting it live. Well, just test the gold transactions, the gold transactions, the ones that really matter to your organization, the ones that will keep your organization ticking over. Um, they're, they're the ones you need to focus on testing. Yeah, the tolerance level of testing uh, for many customers, it's just, you know, been historical. It's like, hey, we used to test the whole system. Either the whole system works or it doesn't because I have to sign off on this, right? But yeah. um, I think you're right. There are some areas where, you know, it's not the end of the world if it doesn't work. Let's not have that part of your gold or maybe your 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 your, your, your core testing. Um, and we'll find out about it anyway, right? <laughs> Somebody's going to try to put in an address and we'll, we'll find out. Maybe we'll find out before they do, but... Um, uh, let's focus on the core that, that could help. I think what you're saying, it helps cut down the amount of time and human resources that you need to test, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it, and it, and it, it helps prioritize things in the run up to a go live. Uh, maybe you just need to re reprioritize some of the bugs that you've 
that you might find until after go live because if you found bugs in those areas well it wouldn't be the end of the world we can fix them afterwards i think this particularly applies to security maintenance you know what if a web logic vulnerability is identified an oracle patch it why wouldn't you just go straight to production with that the fallout of not applying the web logic patch could be far greater than the fallout of applying it and find there's a problem down the line yeah, you're absolutely right. So you're kind of touching on uh, another topic I wanted to cover with you, which is having a selective adoption strategy. Um, and I think uh, part of what we try to talk to customers about is it's easier, I'll put it on record, it's easy for us to suggest a selective adoption strategy to customers, but it's harder for them to execute. I totally get that. Our recommendation or suggestion is to try to, you know, certainly keep your tools release as current as possible, at least N minus one, if you can, right? So right now, 858 is out, you should be on least 857. Um, I think that's number one. And then number two is to keep your applications as current as you can. We come out with application releases every few months, so it's impossible to be uh, completely current with every single uh, image at this point for many of our customers. But we try to say get current at least once every year or so um, and have a strategy for taking individual new features um, maybe once or twice a year throughout that time. So you don't, you're not left waiting a year for new features, but based on your experience, what are you seeing as far as maybe some strategies that are working or you could maybe give some advice to customers that are trying to plan out their, their selective adoption strategy? What you've just described there, Robin, is is exactly what we would be starting with in term when we're discussing this with a client. Um, you know, keep your people tools platform in support, i.e., eight five seven or eight five eight today. In fact, no, eight five six today as well, because I think eight five six got extended support until uh, early next year, hasn't it? Yeah, till April. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, from from a people uh, tools um, security patching perspective, anyway. Um, so yeah, stay stay supported on your people tools because that's critical. Your application nine two is is supported. Uh, in fact, even if you're on nine two pum nine of HCM, you can still call up my Oracle support, log a ticket, and say I've got a bug in HCM, and they'll support you. Now they might say the fix to that is delivered in the latest image pump 36 and you have to again go and take all the prerequisites but um you know, the, the my Oracle support analyst is not going to turn around to, to you and say oh pump 9 is not supported anymore because it is uh, one exception to that might be classic pages that have been replaced by fluid pages and i think they only have a support lifetime of, of two years but generally the rest of the application is supported unlike version 9.1 which is no longer supported so how often you get current and how often you take updates and features, well, that's for every organization to try and work out themselves. But where would we start the conversation? It would be every 12 to 18 months, do I get current? Right. So not dissimilar to what you've, what you've suggested and combine it with a people tools upgrade. So do your people tools upgrade at the same time because that way you're doubling up on the testing and um, that, that's going to save effort and energy and, and, and money and time. You know, one of the questions I get from customers that run both financials and HCM 
is uh, what what should we do them both at the same time or should we do them one at a time? And I know that a lot of it has to just depend on their tolerance for and and their and their uh, ability to have people available. But uh, what is your take? Do you do you have a take on on one or the other? To me, it's kind of a 50-50 thing because there's pros and cons for doing doing both. It really ultimately comes down to the availability of their resources, but um, and how well they can coordinate um, across the two teams. But what's your what's your take on 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 what on that scenario? Uh, we have customers who religiously keep finance and HR systems uh, absolutely in sync with people tools, and, and we have other customers we've worked with who have finance and HR, and they don't have them in sync deliberately. Not deliberately so, but just they don't need to be in sync. They keep them on a supported platform, but not in sync. There's pros and cons. You might need them to be in sync for certain integration reasons. But e- even then, if you are on supported people tools versions, then your HCM could be on 857. Your finance system could be on 858 or even a different patch version of 857 and integration should still work. But there might be a reason why you need them to be in sync. Um, you might have developers who are working in both environments and you want them to be on the same tools versions. There might be features from both those the latest versions that you want to exploit across both platforms. So there's no simple answer to this, really. You're right. It's 50-50. Um, if, you, if you need them to be in sync, make sure you understand the reasons why you need them in sync. Are they legitimate reasons? Are they value-adding reasons? because there's going to be a cost to keeping them in sync. And it probably be around that all your testing is concentrated across all the pillars in one block uh, of time, rather than being spread out through the year. Um, but if they don't need to be in sync, then you might have a lower cost um, maintenance um, exercise on your hands. Yeah. There's so many val- so many factors that go into that decision, right? That uh, it's, uh, it's, always, it's always tough to tell. You, you mentioned um, fluid earlier and you were right about the support for fluid is uh, for fluid pages that essentially have been delivered that uh, replace the classic version. Those are the pages, the classic version of those pages are the ones that go on a D support list. And you have about between two to three years, depending upon when the fluid version was delivered in the year um, before those classic versions are D supported, but overall the release is, is still supported. But when we talk about fluid, uh, it's interesting because the majority of our customers are running Fluid, uh, but I don't think the majority of our customers have a Fluid adoption strategy. I think they kind of just look at features, and if the feature is something that they want, it happens to be in Fluid, which most of our stuff is these days, then they just take it. Um, any advice or um, anything you've seen with customers as far as having a strategy when it comes to Fluid? We always try to encourage our customers to look at the, the new Fluid software that's coming out uh, and what we're encouraging them to look at is does it create value for you uh, and it might be that they've created their own custom self-service pages that are not fluid and they've got lots of rich functionality in there and it, it's difficult for them to transition that into delivered fluid because it doesn't necessarily have the same features that they they've built themselves so we, we a couple a number of our customers we've helped that with that transition that's you know, that, that costs to do that but I wonder if we were to interview all those PeopleSoft users who have never used PeopleSoft until this year, using the word fluid with them wouldn't really make much sense because 
they see the PeopleSoft interface. This is what the PeopleSoft interface is. Now, technically, there's a difference between Fluid and Classic, but from an end user's point of view, really, is there a difference? I have a, I have a little quiz that I did with our, some of our team internally with some PowerPoint slides where I showed some Classic Plus pages and some Fluid pages and said, can you spot the difference? And actually, it's quite tough to spot the difference between a Classic Plus page and a Fluid page when you're just looking at it. If you tried to render it on a mobile phone, it would look it would look different. But you know, just cosmetically, they have a lot in common. They have a look in similar. So if you were to if you were to interview somebody who had just started work with PeopleSoft this year and and they'd got no history with PeopleSoft technology and and ask them about what Fluid interface is, they'd say, "What Fluid? What? You know, this is this is the PeopleSoft interface." Uh, and they'd be transitioning between Classic Plus and 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 Fluid and not even realizing it necessarily. Yeah, you're right. In fact, if if I had my way, we would just not we would just not even refer to Fluid anymore. <laughs> you yeah. know, we would just say this is just it. Is. This is how you use the system. You know, uh, but you know the, the the term Fluid has to still be there as the Fluid user experience because not all customers have fully adopted Fluid. Uh, I think we're almost there. But to me, it's just the way you use the system. This is the way it works. It, pretty much everything we deliver is in fluid. So why are we making a distinction between fluid and not fluid? And your that little um, the little quiz you did with your team about classic plus and fluid, uh, I, I think that's a that's an interesting story because that's that was the whole purpose of doing classic plus was to find a a quick way, universal way that you can just basically upgrade all your classic pages to classic plus. So that it looks more like fluid, and it was very difficult for us to explain that concept to customers. Um, I think they they were willing to buy into it early on because it didn't take any work necessarily to do it, and it was it was through configuration. But I think now, when you start to traverse from a classic plus page to a, a fluid page, that's when you really appreciate how close they are because to the user it doesn't seem like they're going to a different system or, or a different page, or maybe they thought they clicked on something wrong, right? Whereas if they were going from classic to fluid, they probably would. But to answer your question about fluid adoption, if a customer is not using fluid self-service, manager self-service, employee self-service, et cetera, then it's probably the fact that they didn't have it in classic before, i.e. they didn't have a culture of self-service into their PeopleSoft system, or, or they might have wanted it but didn't have the technology. They may also have built, the, as I said before, they may have built their own classic self-service apps to meet specific requirements. And so transitioning from that to Fluid is difficult. So I, I think there are, there are those two groups of, of users probably account for the, the most of the users who haven't adopted Fluid yet is either they didn't have a self-service strategy to start with, classic or Fluid either way, or they built their own self-service in classic yeah, and are, and are now trying to wrestle with the cost of transitioning to delivered fluid. Yeah, I think you're right. Now, we've helped a couple of our clients do that very successfully. One, one of which was an, 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 an innovators award this year, White and Case, a big law firm, uh, New York based, I think, but we were working with, with their team all over the world to get, um, we, we helped them upgrade to 9.2 last year and then uh, did they get current and implemented some uh, guided self-service and, and fluid um, self-service and employee management transactions. And a really interesting bolt-on that we wrote with them to allow approval of uh, job data transactions before they're actually committed. So 
really looking forward to seeing more of the new job uh, component rewrite in the latest PUM releases. So, yeah, I, you know, and and customers, if they want to see that uh, story, the innovator story, um, can go on peoplesoftinfo.com to see that. I love I love the branding that you did with them too. I think it was it was uh, it was fantastic and. Let's face it, you know, Fluid gives you the ability for mobile, also gives you some uh, capabilities with branding. And as I tell customers all the time, a lot of times your your new recruits, as we talked about earlier, uh, who are coming into the organization, one of the first applications that they work with, that which is basically the first impression, is PeopleSoft, right? Maybe you're running recruiting, certainly in HR and onboarding or doing self-service. You want that to be a modern type experience, right? Yeah, that's that's true. We've we've helped a number of our clients do some some simple and some quite sophisticated branding, uh, and and one of our clients um, implemented uh, fluid landing pages and just changed the color of the tiles and the background and dropped a background image. That's all they did. Yeah. And um, when when it when they brought it live Monday morning, they got flooded with calls to say congratulations on this brand new. PeopleSoft system that you've just implemented. <laughs> All they'd done was change the color of the tiles and and the background of the the homepage. Yeah. Don't say anything, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, we slaved away for a long time trying to get this done. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, well, as we wind up our our podcast here, Graham, I just wanted to find out from you if there was anything, given your experience um, and how much uh, you work with PeopleSoft and PeopleSoft customers. Anything you want to share to PeopleSoft customers that maybe they can look forward to in the next year? Uh, any recommendation you think they should maybe look at um, for, for their system? Just anything that you think is a has been something that's of value to you and to the customers you've been working with that you may want to suggest to them? Yeah, I, I grew up on computers. I, I, when I was a teenager, I, I built my first computer. It was a Sinclair ZX81 from a kit. I had a soldering iron. If I had the scars from the soldering iron on my hand still today. <laughs> when I built my first computer and, and transitioned, I was a COBOL programmer all the way through the mainframe era, mini computer, distributed computing era of the 80s and 90s, the dawn of the client server era, and, and eventually the internet world that we, we see and, and live in today. So I've, I've seen it all. And you know what? The software and systems engineer in me still marvels at the engineering that goes into PeopleSoft. Not just has gone into PeopleSoft, but still goes into it today. All right, it's not, it's not perfect, we all, we all know that, but the engineering within it and the capabilities it has to, to extend and enhance the application using the frameworks and the development toolkits makes PeopleSoft a, a really, really good investment now and in the future. Um, the it's great to hear of Oracle's ongoing commitment to not just support PeopleSoft, but to, but the ongoing investment in enhancing and developing it. That makes it a great proposition for customers who are today getting value out of PeopleSoft uh, and will tomorrow continue to get value out of, out of PeopleSoft. I would be encouraging all of our customers to look at migrating PeopleSoft to cloud infrastructure there was a day when I used to build my own computer. I'd heat up my soldering iron and I'd solder the parts together. Now, what do I do? Well, I don't even buy a computer from a hardware store. I, I log on to my, my machine and I provision one in the cloud. I don't even see it, let alone get hands on building it. 
So in the same way, we flick the switch and we get electricity in most parts of the world, or we, we turn the tap and we get clean water. Again, most parts of the world um, have that luxury, some don't. We don't clean our own water. We don't generate our own electricity. You know, my brother actually farms his own gas and cooks off it. But, you know, he's an exception. <laughs> he lives on a farm and um, does that. But um, w these are all commodity things. We just consume them now. And and hardware infrastructure, networking infrastructure, it's a commodity now. So go and buy it. Go and look at uh, Oracle Cloud infrastructure. There are others as well. And um, look at bringing PeopleSoft in there. Um, whether or not your organization has a, a, a strategy for cloud infrastructure or not, you know, PeopleSoft teams in, the, in your organizations, be a catalyst to this. Get your PeopleSoft systems running in the cloud um, because, you know, running and maintaining your own hardware is not most people's core competencies. Maintaining and securing your own networks is not a core competency of most organizations. You know, um, I, I, used, I spent 20 years working with, with Oxfam, uh, UK's largest NGO, and uh, their core competency is fighting world poverty. That's what they do. Networking and security of systems and building infrastructure and hardware. Well, they used to do it. But they don't anymore. They migrated all of their uh, systems onto the cloud and leave somebody else to, to take that problem away for them. So I've been, that would be one incredibly uh, good value add I would be looking at encouraging customers to consider. It won't be suitable for everybody, but certainly uh, most customers would be able to gain some value from doing that. Yeah, I think that's well said. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and all the investment that Oracle's making with Cloud Manager, which is the application within PeopleTools that helps run PeopleSoft in Oracle Cloud infrastructure is just increasing over time. And you know, you'd be able to have the value and the benefits of being able to manage the system in Oracle Cloud uh, moving forward. So uh, well said, well said. Graham, it's been my pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for taking the time to talk with me today. Uh, it's my pleasure. And, and it's always great to talk with you, Robin, and, and talk about PeopleSoft. And um, thanks, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, I want to thank everyone for listening and for your support. Don't forget to spread the word about the PeopleSoft Chat podcast and contact me with your suggestions for future guests and topics. Until then, be well and be safe. Thank you for listening to the PeopleSoft Chat podcast. If you have any feedback or questions, please feel free to reach out to Robin over email at robin.velitem at oracle.com. We invite you to listen to our next podcast when Matthew Hottestow, Oracle People Tool Strategist, and Gary Dranikoski, Spear MC Managing Director, join Robin to chat about Kibana Analytics.